Hi, I'm Cassidy from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a student pharmacist attending the University of Louisiana Monroe College of Pharmacy. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Kristen Wiesenen, clinical professor in the Department of Pharmacotherapy and Translational Research at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy and associate director of the UF Precision Medicine Program about pharmacogenomics and new opportunities for pharmacists to expand their practice in the age of precision medicine. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Forward podcast. Our topic today is pharmacogenomics, part of our series, New Frontiers in Pharmacy Practice. My name is Joshua Fleming, a clinical associate professor from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy, and joining me today is my co-host, Bianca Lascano, a PGY2 ambulatory care resident. Hello and welcome. Today, we'd like to discuss how pharmacists are expanding the scope of practice, specifically within the realm of pharmacogenomics. Pharmacogenomics has emerged in a popular press as a key vehicle ushering in a new era of precision medicine. Throughout our dialogue today, we hope to explore the importance of collaboration with pharmacists, the benefits of individualized medicine, and how pharmacists and other healthcare professionals can be sure they are incorporating best practices into their own education as well as in the training of future professionals. Our guest today is Dr. Kristen Wiesenen. Dr. Wiesenen is the Associate Director of the University of Florida Health Precision Medicine Program, Director of Continuing Pharmacy Education, and Clinical Professor in the Department of Pharmacotherapy and Translational Research in the College of Pharmacy. Dr. Wiesenen also serves as Chair of the Provider Adoption Barriers and Education Workgroup for the NIH-funded IGNITE Genomic Medicine Network. So we are truly honored to be able to speak with her today. Kristen, welcome to Pharmacy Forward. Well, thank you so much, Bianca and Joshua, and thanks so much for having me. We're so glad that you're here. The idea of applying pharmacogenomics in clinical practice really didn't just appear out of nowhere, as I'm sure you would agree. As a resident, I remember getting consulted on a patient who learned that they were a poor metabolizer of clopidogrel. At that point, there wasn't a lot of data out there about what to do with this information, and I didn't know what to do for this particular patient at that time. I spent hours scouring articles to figure out what we needed to do, spent time on PubMed and all the different resources that I could find, and even consulted Dr. Google for a little bit. Fast forward a few years, and I find myself using genetics every day in my cystic fibrosis practice to determine if patients will be a good candidate for all these new CFTR modulators. Given the evolution that I've seen, I'm excited to learn a lot more about this topic. Kristen, as we were preparing for our chat today, I saw lots of terms that were being used in this space pharmacogenomics, precision medicine, personalized medicine, and many others. Before we go any further, can you help me clarify these terms uh, for me and the listeners and others that might be confused about which term we're supposed to use and how we're supposed to use those? Sure, Josh. And that's a question that comes up quite a bit. And in the example that you gave in your when you were talking a minute ago about clopidogrel and for metabolizer status for CYP2C19, that's an example, of course, of pharmacogenomics. And pharmacogenomics really falls under this larger umbrella of precision medicine. And precision medicine is probably the foremost term today. And that's probably what we hear used most often. 
but it really is just a way to individualize drug therapy, whether that's in pharmacogenomics for our drugs or in other ways. So for example, by using family health history to identify someone who might be at increased risk for having uh, a certain type of heart disease. Another great example is, is kind of a blood transfusion. If you think about that, that's a personalized approach. You're not just gonna uh, get any blood transfusion. Uh, it's gonna be matched up to where your body is. It's exactly what your body needs. And so we've been doing this kind of precision medicine concept for quite some time, but really now we're seeing how that gets integrated into day-to-day -day therapy through pharmacogenomics and through sometimes calling it different things. And so precision medicine, individualized medicine, personalized medicine, they're really all the same kind of concept of finding out ways that we can individualize drug therapy to help patients improve outcomes and have better quality of life and care. I understand UF Health operates one of the nation's first outpatient pharmacogenomics consultation services. So congratulations to you all on that. And I understand the providers are using genetic information alongside the patient's medical history to inform treatment decisions. Can you give a brief perspective and background on your personal experiences with the UF Health Precision Medicine Program? When I started with the Precision Medicine Program here at UF, we were just starting in kind of, and actually it's funny that Josh gave that example of clopidogrel and CYP2C19. That was one of our first clinical implementations um, in patients uh, in the cardiac catheterization uh, lab. And so we kind of started in this very small one gene, one drug, um, just to kind of see, can we do this? Uh, and that was in 2012 or 2013. And that over the years, kind of stepped up from one gene drug pair to the next. And so we built on that looking at our pain patients who were taking certain opioids that are affected by CYP2D6 variability. And we just began to kind of build that momentum until we got to the point where we really thought, okay, we have a, we have kind of enough of a foundation within the health system and enough of a demand that uh, we have providers who were saying, you know what, we're getting all these questions. Uh, we need to know how to use pharmacogenomics. And we really would like to do more with this uh, in this space. Here at, at UF, we have a number of different uh, pharmacists who are embedded in ambulatory care clinics, as most you know, uh, different uh, institutions have. And so we looked at that model and we worked uh, with, our, with our ambulatory care primary care group here to develop a similar model as an outpatient consult clinic. And so there's a few different ways to approach it. We started with a two-visit model, and so we do a, a, a visit before the pharmacogenomic test is ordered to educate the patient and kind of walk through the process with them and also walk through the insurance billing and potential reimbursement for that test based on what their insurance and their particular drugs uh, and indications are. Then we'll help the provider order the test, and then when it comes back in, we'll have another follow-up visit with the patient once those test results have been interpreted, we've had a consult with the provider, and, and we're able to then explain that to the patient answer any questions. Now, I will tell you that's not necessarily an ideal model from a sustainability or scalability perspective. So we're exploring other models, of, for example, a patient care video where patients can go through this education process on their own and then follow back up, uh, a one-visit model, uh, lots of different ways that we can potentially approach this. But I think we're kind of learning along with the rest of the, the nation here how to kind of optimize this Kristen, that's quite the impressive service that you guys have built. One of the big things that I hear from you and then from myself and other pharmacists is our career path a lot of times evolves. We sometimes find ourselves in areas that we weren't planning to be in. And I could see some other pharmacists that are out there who may wind their way into some sort of precision medicine or some sort of program similar to yours. How does somebody get prepared for something like that if they're early to mid-career and they've already finished formal training? And then the flip side of that, what do we need to be doing for our current residents and our current students and things like that to get them prepared for this type of practice? 
Those are great questions. And I think I think maybe the theme of my career is I kind of ended up, like you said, where I didn't expect to be pretty much in everything <laughs> that I've kind of done. I never really thought about genomics or genetics and um, as part of my career. There really is a need in this space for pharmacists to have a foundational training in whatever area that is, whether it's cardiology, oncology, primary care, and, and really then are able to integrate genomics into that. And so that's really the way that it's best used in practice, which is being integrated as one piece of clinical information that informs care versus kind of siloing it out. Uh, there are pharmacogenomics uh, specialty residencies and fellowships, a number of different training opportunities, but I definitely wouldn't um, would encourage anyone who's interested or whose practice just seems to be heading in this direction to not be intimidated because they haven't had specialized training. Don't, don't hesitate to jump in and just learn as you go. So I think, Josh, the second part of your question was kind of how do we help prepare our, uh, our future workforce, our residents and our fellows today to be able to make that leap into pharmacogenomics. And I think that it really comes back down to, to exactly kind of what you said, that as far as you never really thought this would be a part of your practice, and now it is every day. We want to help our residents and, and our fellows, our trainees, our students integrate this into the thought process of care to not treat this information as being kind of special or different, understand and differentiate when pharmacogenomics uh, should be applied and used when it's relevant to drug therapy. And the best way to do that is just to kind of begin to integrate it into our own practice settings. I agree. Getting it more in our day-to-day nomenclature and our day-to-day practices, I think would be a great opportunity for our residents, students, trainees, and others to be able to see how you incorporate in every practice site as opposed to being a specialized piece of the pharmacist's care model. So for pharmacists that are trying to do that, how do they advocate and be aware for how to identify patients who qualify for individualized therapy or precision medicine in their clinics? Yeah, that's an, an excellent question. And I think really, not only as pharmacists, you know, we, we kind of think of ourselves as the more on the front lines, we're the drug therapy experts. And, and that analogy kind of leads right over into, uh, into pharmacogenomics, because we really are the ones that not only can advocate for individualizing drug therapy specifically, but really can stand and serve as leaders in this space. And the way we see that happen in practice so often is um, sometimes it's reactive. The pharmacist is usually the first person that that, a, that someone on a healthcare team will go to to ask a question about genetic variability in drugs, or should I do this test, or should I do that? But I think there's also a, a really deep level of knowledge that we bring to the table to be able to integrate pharmacogenomic information into the rest of the clinical picture. And so uh, just because we have pharmacogenomic data doesn't necessarily mean it's going to, to change what we're doing. It's one piece of information. And the pharmacist already has all those other kind of pieces and is already looking at the patient's drug therapy uh, from a kind of holistic perspective. And so I think it's a, a great opportunity for us to own that from both an advocacy, a leadership, and, and kind of really being able to provide what patients need in this space. As a current resident, I think it is very important that we begin to incorporate pharmacogenomics in our day-to-day task and really not thinking of precision medicine as foreign, but as second nature. And I'm sure it will not be uncommon for other healthcare providers to question the need for precision therapy. Kristen, how do you approach the idea of precision medicine to providers who may not be too familiar? And also, have you received much pushback with your pharmacogenomics consultation service? I think a couple things come to mind. Uh, Number one, just as with other areas of, of, of medical practice or drug therapy, it's all about the evidence. And I think that 
one of the keys to uh, for us being able to kind of establish this appropriately within patients drug therapy is using the information appropriately and that means helping us to understand as uh, as pharmacists what are the different levels of evidence that guide drug therapy decision and then how do we incorporate pharmacogenomics into that so I would say definitely it's all about the evidence just as with other areas of care and I think the the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium guidelines, the CPIC guidelines do a great job of helping us to at least kind of put all that in one place. Having that evidence-based perspective and then identifying uh, partners that really have an interest in, in working in this space together and are willing to sometimes try some things out from a feasibility perspective, because we don't always know what's going to work from kind of the logistics and the workflow processes. Um, that's really the key. And then I think really establishing that clinical credibility. We spend a lot of time um, working alongside our providers, uh, talking to them. We don't always stay embedded in the clinic indefinitely. A lot of times we'll work together with our providers and kind of get get a system established and make sure everything's going well. And then we actually try to kind of back off and be a little hands-off. We're there if you need us, but we feel at the end of the day that that's really one of the best ways to adopting a new scary uh, thing in your clinical practice. A lot of healthcare providers, even to this point in the podcast, may still not understand how relevant precision medicine is to each specialty, from cardiology to even pain management, as you hinted on earlier. Um, could you discuss some of the common medications and some of the disease states that you feel receive the most benefit from precision medicine? Definitely. And, uh, and I mentioned earlier that we, we kind of had a process of, of starting out with a single gene drug pair and then growing that space and um, into kind of building momentum to where we were looking at panel-based testing with a set number of, of tests for certain drug metabolizing enzymes, where we've seen a lot of questions and a lot of growth and a really important need for pharmacies in the more generalist space. So I think that surprised me. I wouldn't have necessarily thought that our kind of the biggest demand or the biggest place where we would see utilization of, of pharmacogenomic testing was in kind of the primary care space. But it actually makes sense if you think about it there. A lot of medications that are can be guided by pharmacogenomic testing from proton pump inhibitors, SSRIs, uh, selected SSRIs with uh, 2D6 and 2C19, and then certain pain medications with uh, with CYP2D6. A lot of those, those are chronic medications. And if we take, for example, depression, SSRIs, there's not a, a, a always a great differentiator between how to try or why you would try one versus the other. So if you have a patient who has not responded to a number of different drugs or on a lot of medications, they're you know, potentially having issues with adherence or comorbidities or side effects. If you can find a way to help get them to a therapeutic goal faster or more rapidly with fewer side effects and kind of less running around, then that's very appealing. And so I think that kind of points to the value of pharmacogenomics in a, a chronic care environment because it does help us sometimes to identify more quickly what a patient is most likely to respond to or maybe what to avoid um, without having to do a, a four to six week trial of a specific drug. And so um, there are always going to be specialized areas for pharmacogenomics. We're always going to see genomic and genetic data used in cardiology, oncology, and some of these very specialized areas. But what I think that we're seeing more and more of and we'll continue to see the growth is really that into that primary care outpatient space with our chronic care medications and, and supportive care palliative care with, for example, Dancitron uh, and CYP2D6, um, again, that pain management. Those are really the places where we, uh, I think there's a real place for a benefit of pharmacogenomics to help guide therapy and uh, help to, to prioritize what's needed for some of those chronic care patients. 
Kristen, flipping the hat a little bit, um, you and I both kind of live on the academic side of pharmacy and we both teach a bit or a good bit. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about incorporating pharmacogenomics into the pharmacy curriculum. As an institution, we're currently undergoing curricular change, and I'm curious to hear what you guys have done at UF and what advice you'd give to others who may be teaching in this space. There's a couple different ways you can approach this, and and we've done it both ways. Since I've been within this space, we actually underwent a curricular change. And so prior to that curricular change, we had more of a a modular-based approach where there was a a pharmacogenomics course. What we've kind of moved to is more of an integrated uh, approach to to kind of really every topic. And, um, and I think that's where I think most, um, most schools and colleges are kind of threading it throughout the curriculum. So for example, in our patient care course where we discuss brain and behavioral disorders, I have a little half hour or segment at the end of each of those topics to go through what's the pharmacogenomic perspective and then we'll do cases with the students so that they can learn to integrate that information. And so we kind of just build it in the same way we might pharmacokinetic monitoring. Now, the, the caveat to that is that there is a kind of this foundational knowledge that needs to be covered um, of both genetics, uh, genomics, and the kind of drug metabolizing enzymes. And that's usually something that we see done in that, the, that first year. And so I think it's a good approach to kind of look at what's foundational about pharmacogenomics, put that along with your, your foundational science curriculum within pharmacy school, and then look at what's application, look what's knowledge, skills, application, and then say, okay, now how do we apply this? And so it's understanding how to integrate that genetics into the clinical picture is where I think our biggest challenges as educators, both in pharmacy schools, but then also in postdoctoral training too. And so that's kind of my passion in this space is really teaching students how to use this as just a normal everyday part of the curriculum. On that note, Kristen, as a pharmacist who works closely with precision medicine, I'm sure you have a few resources that you rely heavily on when making clinical recommendations. Do you mind sharing some of your resources that you currently use? Not at all, Bianca. And actually, that kind of reminds me of a piece that I, I left off in the last uh, kind of the last question of talking about, you know, how do we how do we approach education? And one of the things that kind of takes us back to the beginning when Josh gave his example of CYP2C19 and clopidogrel, and I actually wrote down that he spent hours, you know, scouring the the literature and and PubMed and you know every resource that he could find to figure out what to do with this. And I think that's really what you're getting at is how do we prevent pharmacists from spending hours and hours trying to dig into this if we already know what that answer is. And so not only do we have to have the skills to apply from a clinical perspective, but we also have to know how to answer these questions in a very time efficient and evidence-based manner in the same way that we uh, would do for any other drug information or drug therapy questions. It's really important, I think, to give students, residents, fellows opportunity to use the, the tools. And so the two that I probably use most often in practice are the pharmacogenomics knowledge base uh, and the clinical pharmacogenetics implementation consortium guidelines. And there's pharmacogenetic information in up-to-date. Um, it's, it's kind of peppered throughout. And then one step beyond that to a, a database or a resource that focuses just on that pharmacogenomics. CPIC and PharmGKB are great resources. There is just an incredible depth of knowledge, and we have built into all of our students' activities, okay, what's the level of evidence, and why would you do this? And it's one of the first things that we do is we say, should I use this? I don't know. Let's see what the evidence says. And that's where you can find an answer really quickly um, with some of those resources, whether it's the presence of a CPIC guideline or um, an entry or information on PharmGKB. Kristen, I have one more quick question. You've mentioned the CPIC guidelines a, a few times through your your response today. 
What are those and where can someone find those? CPIC is the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium, and it's a group that was uh, funded NIH and NHGRI, and they're online, they're on the, um, available on the internet at cpicpgx.org. They kind of have systematically taken the gene drug pairs with the highest level of evidence and said, what are you going to do if you have pharmacogenetic information? So their guidelines don't recommend whether or not you would test, but they're based on the assumption that we're getting more and more genomic and genetic information um, in the medical record. And so if that exists and a patient is on this drug, what what drug therapy recommendations can you make? And then they grade those. They have evidence-based grading within the guidelines themselves to tell you whether this is a strong or a moderate recommendation, and they define that. And so they're a great resource, I think, from a clinical standpoint in pharmacogenomics. We use CPIC all the time. We rely heavily on those guidelines. Well, it certainly would have been nice to have those 10 years ago. What I was spending hours on, on trying to figure out that clopidogrel question a while back. Well, Kristen, I so much appreciate your time today. I feel like I learn so much every time we have these chats. Today, we've learned about how to incorporate pharmacogenomics in our everyday practice. We've learned about how to build a practice, a successful practice in precision medicine. Um, we also talked about how we can incorporate pharmacogenomics into our curriculum, in the classroom, and our, our current training. We've learned so many different things today, and Kristen, I'm so appreciative of your time. Again, Kristen, I truly want to thank you, and this discussion has honestly got me excited. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll hope you join us again for another episode of the Pharmacy Forward podcast. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like to share about someone who's transforming knowledge into action, send us an email. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit PharmacyCPD.org. That's PharmacyCPD.org. This episode was conceived and developed by Elizabeth Hearn, Elizabeth Yett, Bianca Lascano, Markeisha Cook, Ha Fan, Megan Brown, Lori Fleming, Josh Fleming, and Stuart Haynes.